Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were true crime, history, and the paranormal me. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? History podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. And today we are very lucky to have two guests with us. If you're like me and you love the paranormal, I have been watching Ghost Hunters since it began. And then the new AE version of Ghost Hunters came out. And we have two of the stars of AE's Ghost Hunters, Brandon Alves and Mustafa Gadalori. Did I do it right? Oh my God. I'm so proud. This, did this, I? Yeah. I did it right this time. I did. You, you crushed it. You're like I, three of like a thousand people who said it perfect the first time. Well, don't give me too much credit. I actually write your name out phonetically. And this time, because last time I screwed up Brandon's name, I actually wrote his out too. Just yeah. to make sure. That, yeah, was, that, was, that was embarrassing. It was really embarrassing. Today, we're going to talk about some of the sites that you guys investigated on Ghost Hunters and then... I believe, and I hope, fingers are still crossed, that we're going to come back and talk to you guys again about your two favorite places that you investigated that are not on Ghost Hunters, correct? Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. So today, we're, the first site that we're going to talk about is, is Fort Stanton. What I found on the New Mexico Historic website was that Fort Stanton was established in 1855 and served as a military post to control the Apache Indians. And then in 1861, the fort was abandoned to Confederate forces in the early stages of the American Civil War. The retreating forces tried to burn the fort, but a rainstorm extinguished the fire. The Confederates completed the destruction when they left only after a month's occupation. The fort returned to the Union fold in 1862. After the closure as an army post, the post served as a merchant marine tuberculosis hospital, a World War II interning camp, a training school for the mentally disabled, and most recently as a low-security women's prison and hosted several juvenile drug and alcohol rehabilitation programs. It is currently a state monument and museum visited by tens of thousands of tourists each year. Now, you guys were there when? What year was that? 2019. It was towards the end of... Yep. Yeah. 2020 actually i think like the like it was yeah 2019 i believe it's uh all kind of a blur now yeah it was yeah it was the end of 2019 towards the end we've talked about this everything now you have to reference as pre-pandemic or post-pandemic or mid-pandemic mid-pandemic yeah it was a mid-pandemic burger i had a really good mid-pandemic <laughs> burger once it was really refreshing <laughs> you guys were there before the like before 2020 yeah, all of our cases that we did for the show, our last case was we were actually in O'Hare Airport when the first COVID case came to America in the same terminal. Like we had yeah. all the alerts on our phone and it was just like we probably brought it to Alaska. <laughs> oh, were you on your way to Alaska when you got that? Yeah. Oh, crazy. Now, when you went to Fort Stanton, it's out in the middle of like the boondocks, right? Like there's nothing nearby. Yeah, not at all. I mean, it's it's such a massive place that it has its own zip code, which is really interesting. But there is nothing out there. I mean, you know, in season two, we did a lot of locations that are isolated. Uh, and that place is definitely isolated. I mean, you are driving for miles and miles in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden you come up on this 
foreboding looking compound, this, you know, former military fort. And it's a sight to see, that's for sure. But it's definitely such a massive place. I read that they have their own um, working post office. Like it's still an active post office. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the uh, just, just to piggyback off of what Brandon was saying real quick, and I think it's something that like our, our production team didn't get enough credit for was the fact that they took a huge, huge, huge risk in season two and picking a bunch of never really before, and for the most part, never before investigated locations that are in the middle of nowhere that it's like kind of hard to really verify a lot of the paranormal claims. Like we vetted everything as best as we could with the individuals who set it out. But like, I just... We didn't know how that was going to pan out, like you know, just from a production standpoint. You know, people like to see the greatest hits places go up. So yeah, kudos to them for finding never before heard of or investigated places for the most part. And yeah, to answer your question, it did have its own uh, post office. Speaking of that, what are the claims at Fort Staten? There was a litany of really interesting ones, um, and it varied from portion from each location on the specific site, right? So uh, Brandon, he had this amazing find in uh, Fort Stanton, the same hospital where there was uh, reports of a an apparition. Some people reported seeing like a dog-like creature wandering and roaming the halls. There was reports in the church of footsteps, voices, audible voices, along with sometimes people would see a shadow figure peering through the window. Um, and then what was the ones for the nurses uh, building? I forgot. They would hear uh, the voices of children in there at times. Uh, they would have items moving on their own, which is really interesting. But you got to think, you know, with Fort Stanton, what, make that, what makes that place such a, you know interesting location from a paranormal standpoint is there's so many layers of history at this location. I mean, it's like peeling back layers of an onion. You have this amazing Native American history there, the uh, the Apache Wars, the first federal tuberculosis hospital. Um, and you have these really amazing people that work there uh, that are very level-headed people, people that work for the New Mexico State Park System. They maintain these locations, and some of which uh, these people live there. And uh, – when we talked to them, their stories were very compelling in the sense that they were very credible people and what they were experiencing was genuinely scary to them and terrifying. And so, I mean, the first time we walked into that, you know, that tuberculosis hospital was a pretty intense moment because uh, Kenny, uh, one of the people that works for the state park system and lives on the property was so adamant about his experiences and what he's seen so many times that it, it really stepped up the investigation to a level I think we really hadn't dealt with. And the evidence that you collected, was that watching the TV show, you reacted almost right away at the beginning of, I'm sure the much edited version, to something on the other side of the window that was inside the tuberculosis hospital? Yes. Yeah, and that was actually a location that not only Kenny, but I mean many people over time have had experiences in this hospital. I think even a troop of Boy Scouts had a, a really intense, uh, you know, confrontation there almost where they were so terrified. Some of them were screaming and running where they heard what sounded like uh, paws of an animal or something that was scratching at a door and almost chasing them out of the building. And what's interesting about that tuberculosis hospital is not a lot of people have access to it. So uh, very few people get into the building, uh, but from the outside, visitors that go to Fort Stanton do see people through the windows. And 
when Brian and I were in there, we set up the EMCCD camera, which was, you know, really one of the first times we used this device, this very sensitive piece of equipment. And all of a sudden, you know, I think it was about 45 minutes, probably into the session, we see this huge light just engulf the entire lobby of the uh, the hospital. And all of a sudden, that light kind of shows up and then you see it form into what looks like a, a person and walking past those uh, windows into the lobby and it completely disappears. And that's really what set off a series of events that really was one of the biggest breakthroughs in the paranormal field. And something that really was a huge jump forward in uh, the scientific principle of this genre, of this genre and of this field, and it was a moment that really you know goes down in history. What was that piece of equipment? I've never the your view, the view that we had of that of the view you had was insane. Like it was the clearest thing, and it's pitch black in there, right? Absolutely. I mean, it was complete darkness. It was you could hardly see your hand in front of your face. Uh, but that piece of equipment's a EMCCD camera, and that's an electron multiplying camera that is typically used by the digital imaging scientific community to record single photon events. And what photon events are, are light events that are typically not seen by the human eye. And the reason we use this device was I went to one of my scientific consultants and I asked them, you know, from your expertise, from your scientific background and your research, if ghosts are real and there is this unexplained phenomena taking place, how would we document that? What could this possibly be? And that's when the theory of photon events were thrown out at us. And we were provided this amazing camera and we utilized it in a place with a very credible eyewitness, a place with amazing history. And it paid off in a very big way. And that wasn't the only thing that you caught in that same hallway. No, that was actually the first thing that happened. And again, it set off this series of events that, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible to this date even to think about it. Once that happens, uh, I told Brian what I saw on, this, on the monitor because he walked about halfway down the hallway to grab one of the wheelchairs to put out into the hallway as one, a trigger object or possibly just to show, you know, the camera working in that capacity just to see it's not just a hallway. You can see all the other objects and, we're really kind of geeking out on the fact that you can see what looks like broad daylight in pitch black. It really did. Yeah. And, and as soon as he did that, and I alerted him to that, and we saw this image on the monitor, him and the cameraman, which were the only people in the building, exited the building to see if it was possibly someone else shining a flashlight into the building, someone else maybe with their infrared light shining into the building. One, there was no one out there. We called, we walked out to the rest of the production crew and the team, and no one was in that vicinity. And we were trying to disprove that footage at that moment. And I was standing in that hospital completely by myself. There was no one else in that building with me. And first and foremost, I can say from you know a standpoint of being in an empty building and not really letting the history influence you, I definitely felt like there was other people in that building with me. So directly in front of me is that hallway. Directly to my right is another stairwell that leads up to the upper portions of the hospital. And to my left, there was nothing there. It was just a wall. But directly in front of me, I could definitely sense or feel like there was someone in that hallway in one of those rooms. And directly to my right in that stairwell, I felt like there was someone there as well. All of a sudden, a full-blown figure leans out and peeks out of one of the rooms in that hallway on the right-hand side. 
And I wasn't looking at the monitor at that moment because I was kind of on high alert. I was looking around, you know, my head was on a swivel, things were getting tense and I did not see this happen in real time. Oh, you didn't? No, no. Only thing I saw in real time was that initial big burst of light and what looked like a figure walked through the, the lobby. So when this huge breakthrough and this tremendous find that we captured happened, I didn't see it on the monitor. Uh, I, but I definitely felt like I was being watched. And, you know, luckily enough, this amazing piece of equipment documented that and actually provided, you know, some amazing data and a huge breakthrough, but also, you know, correlated with my experience. So once we got back to, um, you know, our base camp and we took that SD card from the device and we put it into the computer, we saw that and instantly we knew we had something that's really never been documented, one, in the paranormal field, but two, from a very scientific principle explain to me what that means the photon you i know that you tried to explain what the equipment was but what is it is it able to capture things that we can't see with our eyes like what is it or is it just capturing lights correct you know we're capturing things we can't see with our own naked eye there are certain people out there that do have extra proteins in their eye that allow them to see photon events like that but so single photon events and photon events in general are not seen by the human eye, you know, typically. Uh, but this camera allows us to see this form of light that we typically cannot see. So again, this is a theory that was brought up to me by a scientific consultant of ours. And we wanted to test the theory. Is it possible that entities, ghosts, whatever you want to call them, are manifesting themselves via photon events? And that was really that moment that really set a huge precedence for this field and really pushed the scientific method forward for us and really was the basis for our book. Okay, then I have a question. And I know that you are scientifically based and I'm not trying to um, not give that all the credence because I love that you guys are not bringing mediums in and all that other things. But when you mentioned that there are people that have certain proteins in their eyes and they're able to see things that this camera can does that also explain the fact that people see dead people, quote unquote? That's exactly the type of research I want to take it to. You know what I mean? That's something that Mustafa and I have had many conversations about. And yeah. it goes further than just the photon events. You know, the, the longer and the, you know, the more experience we had with utilizing this camera, we started to mount that data with environmental conditions. Right, Mustafa? Yeah, and that that's like there's been a number of cases where we saw correlations with photon events, light anomalies that corresponded with EVPs, that corresponded with dips in pressure, um changes in, you know, that barometric pressure. That's the big thing that we've been noticing in our research is that anytime, you know, for the lack of a better word, you know, shit goes down, um it's almost always correlated with either sharp increases or decreases in barometric pressure. And um, but Brandon, you know, did an amazing job, you know, talking about that incredible find at Fort Stanton. That was literally the first time we implemented it on a ghost hunters investigation. And when we were there, I, I just saw this piece of equipment and um, I call stuff out a lot and I'm usually not right but this this time i just had a feeling we were going to document something and he did and while that was going on uh no not while but in that same building on the floor above it we had you know we have various pieces of equipment and a lot of stuff doesn't get put into the show but 
Daryl and I, when we're hearing stuff upstairs and we're hearing these noises and it sounds like there's people up there and we thought we found something, you know, down the hallway, but we, we kind of ruled it out because it looks like it could have been, you know, something on the flare that was caused by like a window or just some type of weird, uh, the placement of our camera. But while we were freaking out over stuff we were hearing in the hallway in another room, which was I, directly above where Brandon had captured this amazing find, we had an EDI for an hour and 30 minutes, nothing was going on with it. But while we started hearing all of these footsteps in the same exact area directly above where Brandon had this capture, our EDI was registering tons of just pressure drops, pressure drops for about a minute and like 12 seconds. And then it stopped. So you're basically saying all these things happen together. Like you have all these different pieces of equipment and you've determined that this happens when this happens, when this happens leads to this. Well, it's not, it's, it's like determined, but like, but, but documented. It's, it's all documented, you know, um, to reference the Alaska case, you know, I won't go into that too much, but we documented multiple things happening at the same time. Galena, we documented drops in pressure at the same time, right before there was an, a light anomaly that looked like a shimmer storm that occurred. So I think another thing I think that's worth mentioning about the Fort Stanton footage is that edited on TV, they kind of darkened the light anomaly a little bit and they cut the phenomenon a little short. It was, it was longer and more vibrant than what was presented on the electron multiplying camera. And the only type of phenomenon that really came close, it's not even the same thing, but that came close to replicating it um, that we found and we did further testing is when you light a match in front of the camera. It's a generation of an energy source in front of it. Bugs can't replicate it. When I first saw Brandon, it showed me the footage when we were back at our the hotel and we were reviewing our uh, our data. He calls me to his room and then, you know, um, I go and I look at it and immediately I was like, somebody walked in front of the camera, dude, did it? And he's like, no. And he showed me exactly what it looked like. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like, what is this? And I don't know. I mean, it looks when you freeze frame it at the, you know, for like about a half a second to a second, it looks like the shape of a person. I know you're talking about the, the light through the window that it was in the lobby. Yes. Now, you guys are, like, for us watching on TV, it is, it's really, it's a fleeting moment. So, like, yes, I wasn't as excited about that until, well, now I am because of the way you're talking about it. But I was more excited about the shadow. The shadow is, is more tangible to people like me that are watching it at home or are not ghost hunters. That shadow is very tangible. It looked like a human being. Right. And you know what? I think those two events are connected in every way, shape, yeah. or form. I think how far apart were they? Uh, feet. Uh, I mean, what? Maybe time wise. I mean, oh, uh, fifteen minutes. Really? Yeah, very close in time and and uh, in distance, which is interesting. And what's even more interesting is the fact that when you see this big light burst that Masafa was talking about, and you see what looks like a person walking through that lobby. That exact spot, and we did not know this prior uh, to our research and actually investigating, there was a stairwell in that exact spot that is now walled up. And that was told yep. to us by the people at Fort Stanton, Tim and Kenny. Uh, they were like, guys, this is what makes this even creepier because you don't know this. 
<laughs> so uh, that that is an interesting thing. I, I think there was a definitely a sense of intelligence to this whole phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I felt like something, you know, whatever this was, was almost drawing us out of the building. And I think whatever was there thought we all left the building, but I was still there. And I think once it peaked out, it noticed I was there. And that's why you see it retreat the way it does. And uh, like Mustafa was saying, if you, you know, really go frame by frame with this footage, what makes the shadow in the hallway even more significant is the fact that it perfectly outlines and matches perfectly to the time period of the nurses that worked in that tuberculosis hospital. I mean, to a yeah, T. To their outfits that they would wear, you know, I, I, I think the hat, you know, how they had that. I don't know what it's called. Habit of nurses. I don't know. The hat. The uniform. Thing that stands up in the front. Yeah, the uniform, the, that specific type of hat, the outline of it. We were looking at it, we we're researching it, and it was just, it's undeniable. So it was a really, it was, it, it was probably for me, the, the best paranormal uh, find that I've ever encountered ever. The other thing that happened to you at Fort Stanton was the very audible footsteps while you were in the chapel. Yes. You were, you and Daryl were in that. The yeah. Chapel. Yeah. The, the, the chapel that was, you know, a lot of times when you hear sounds, especially when you're in a, in a building, you, you kind of want to just chalk it up to like, okay, maybe it's a heating system or maybe it's an air conditioner or maybe there's trees above the house and like, you know, chestnuts are falling or maybe it's a squirrel or it's a raccoon or something. But Brandon had implemented the usage of these really, really awesome uh, audio devices, ambisonic uh, microphone. Shout out to my parents. They got me one. They, like I couldn't get them. They're all in back order. And they got me one like a while back and I got an ambisonic and uh, I, I've been using the thing personally and, you know, events and investigations and, and I love it. But um, because we have this ambisonic microphone, we can listen on four different audio channels. We can get a really good idea uh, of where the sounds are coming from because experience is, is different than documentation, you know? So, but while we're in the chapel, we start hearing these noises at the back of the chapel. And we start asking, you know, whoever or whatever's there to, to, to come closer. And then it's like someone knocks against one of the pews and then right. boom, 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 boom. I think it was like five different pews. So it finally came right up next to us. And the cameraman who was working with us, like Kendall Welpton, who's, been on tons of ghost hunter seasons and he's a paranormal investigator himself it got right next to us boom and then he jumped back it was right right next to us and it came up to us and uh those those footsteps i i i wish we could have gotten even more data i wish we could have you know gotten a voice or something but i thought that was super significant and you know we went and we again tried to debunk where are these sounds coming from what would cause these noises to, you know, to come out. And it just, I don't know. I I still, I still don't know, but it was like Brandon was saying before, there was an intelligence to it. It was reacting to our questioning. It was reacting to our exhortations to come closer and then boom, just coming up. And it was, it was incredible. Uh, I I remember that like it was yesterday. On a scale of one to 10, before we move on to the next place. I mean, clearly you got evidence that no one's ever gotten before. So on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate Fort Staten? Fort Staten to me is, I mean, it's about as close to a ten as it can get. If you want to talk in terms of like haunted to to, to do that, I mean, 
I mean, Brandon, what, what, I mean, even there's stuff they didn't even put on the show because it's just, we didn't know how to fit it in to make sense of it. But what about that tree that you had the EMCCD right. camera on? You know, with Fort Stanton, you know, out of all the cases we worked on with ghost hunters, it's got to be from a data standpoint, number one. You know, it's it, it has all the makings and the elements of a haunting. It's all there. Uh, but like Mustafa was mentioning with, you know, the EMCCD camera, we took that outside and we started to try and document this area where they, see, they saw this dog-like creature and also was an area that there was a lot of Native American rituals uh, and was considered Native American holy land to, to the people there. And so we took that camera out there and we were, you know, shooting in that same vicinity where they have all these rituals. I think yearly they do that. Yeah, it said on the line, it says yearly they hold a certain ritual in front of the hospital. Yep, yeah. The land that it was built on. Exactly. And so we're recording and documenting for hours and hours with this EMCCD camera. And all of a sudden, the trees start to glow. Like, I mean, you're seeing green and blue and red colors starting to glow on the tree. Like the tree was alive, like it was living and breathing, which I mean, it is, but you're seeing these amazing photon events take place in the same exact area. Was it paranormal? I don't think so. I think it was a natural phenomena, but I mean, there's something about that specific piece of land at Fort Stanton that just has something going on. And we actually documented that with the EMCCD camera and it looks like an acid trip or something. It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. You know what I forgot to ask you? You guys um, referenced Room 201 in the hospital. What was the deal with Room 201? I believe that there was some – There was in, in 201, there was some type of um, like gnarly claim having to do with some of the people who stayed there. So it wasn't anything that you guys had. That, that was where the, the instance with the Boy Scouts took place. So yes. it wasn't anything that happened to you guys? No, it was based off of the, the reports and the claims. So when Kenny had that Boy Scout troop there, that was the room where they had this tremendous experience and they had this you know unseen force basically chase them out of the building. And again, some of these kids were so terrified. They were you know crying their eyes out, which is very sad and very scary. But uh that, it's a very interesting place. I mean, again, this is the first federal tuberculosis hospital in the United States of America. And we've done a lot of tuberculosis facilities in the past. I mean, Waverly and all these other places. But this one is almost, I'd say, kind of the crown jewel when it comes to that time. What yeah. happens to your evidence after the show is over? All the stuff that you caught. Does it belong to the TV show? Does it belong to you? Well, it, you know, it's part of the TV show, but uh, that raw data is still in our archives and in our case logs. We still have that raw data. And so that raw, that raw, access yeah. that? Yeah, I have it. I have it yeah. all. Yeah, because I, I, again, you know, I guess Ghost Hunters is a TV show, but this research is real. And that's one thing to me. I mean, all that information and data ran through, ran through me, and I have all that data saved because that data needs to be looked at it has to be further analyzed it's still an open case you know what i mean we don't know what photon events and pressure changes have to do with each other at this point in time and when it comes to scientific principle and it comes to furthering the science of the paranormal we have to constantly look at these patterns in this data and try and test new theories and see if we can would you have to go back there to replicate it no no, that's the beauty of this is the fact that we have to go to, you know, reportedly haunted locations and we have to test these theories and collect further data to really have a database. 
and to have an archive to say, hey, look, this is factual data. This is empirical evidence. There's something pertaining to the phenomena. What, what this is, we have to look into it further. And we have to go to third parties. We have to talk to various professionals from technical industries to help us understand, is this a natural phenomena? Is this something we can't explain? But one thing we can say is that these locations where countless numbers of people are having these experiences of what they believe to be a haunting, we have a pattern here. So Fort Staten, definitely haunted. I'd say so. Yeah, me, me too. It's a beautiful location. So, I mean, I can you confirm, is there really only two people that live there? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, at the time of when we were filming. And I, I think even now, because uh, they, we've been trying to get back there and we've been invited by Tim to go back there uh, on a few occasions. But, you know, because it's a government owned property, um, they're very, very strict with uh, COVID protocols and right. um, they're constantly opening and closing, opening and closing, which is, you know, it's, it's had some pretty disastrous effects on the, uh, sustainability of it as a as a compound you know as, as a location so it's um it's unfortunate because um you know the the little tourism that they had to to go there and people come and visit that's all jeopardized right. so hopefully you know hopefully we can get more people out there once it, it opens up but uh yeah and that's actually interesting i would be i would love to be the first person to get back in there after it opens up too because Hey, it was empty for a really long time with minimal human interaction before. And living so we can get human. back there again. Yeah. yeah, living human, living human interaction. <laughs> uh, and then, but now, hopefully, uh, it will go back, and I don't know. We'll see what further data we can uh, gather. For more information about the book that Brandon mentioned earlier in this episode, "Elements of a Haunting: Connecting History with Science to Uncover the Greatest Ghost Stories Ever Told." by Brandon Elvis and Mustafa Gadalori. Please go to brandonjelvis.com for pre-order information, or you can go to our website at huntinghistorypodcast.com, and we will have a link in our web- episode webpage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode, links to our Patreon page, and all of our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. Remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.